Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Christy Sumner from Soul Sisters Paranormal. Thank you for coming on the show, Christy. Thank you for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. Awesome. Um, So my first question is certainly the most obvious question. What got you interested in the paranormal? (laughs) Absolutely. That's a question that everybody asks. And, you know, they always want to know if I had like one defining moment that, you know, put me on this trajectory, but it, it actually really wasn't like that. Um, Soul Sisters Paranormal is a team that's made up of myself, my twin sister, my younger sister, and then two family friends. And so my sisters and I growing up, you know, we'd watch uh, t- uh, ghost shows on, on television and in popular media. And we always said to ourselves, you know, if we had the opportunity to do that, we would absolutely jump on it because we would ask ourselves, you know, why didn't they say this or why didn't they ask that or why didn't they delve more into the history of this location and so on and so forth. So we actually in 2013 had the opportunity to go to the West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia. So we have a family friend that sits on the board there and he said, why don't y'all come up and, and essentially do a girls weekend. And, and stay the night at the prison and see what you find. So we absolutely jumped on that chance. And we had uh, just some very limited amount of equipment. We had a couple of voice recorders, a couple of, of digital cameras, um, one night vision camera. Mm-hmm. And we really, I mean, we were expecting something paranormal just because of, of you know, the rumors and stuff um, and, and the other findings of other paranormal investigators. But what we found was so compelling that night that we really decided that we wanted to delve more into paranormal and paranormal activity and the reasons behind it. So we formed Soul Sisters Paranormal. Uh, we, we came up with our brand, our logo, our theme music, our trademark and all of that and just really kind of hit the road and uh, went to have gone to numerous places around the country just investigating paranormal activity. Wow. Actually, is West Virginia State Penitentiary is like one of the most haunted places in America. <laughs> It, it, it is. It is. It absolutely is. And it's, it's one of those places that, you know, you see on television and you see in books and, and, uh, and pictures and stuff, but you really aren't prepared for the scale of, of, of the size of it when you, when you walk up to it. Um, so for us, we were blown away by the actual size and scope and, and the footprint of West Virginia State Penitentiary and just had an absolute ball there. Um, we actually have a familial connection in the fact that our grandpa used to be a prison guard there when it was an operation. So to walk down those, those corridors and be in those cell blocks <clears throat> where we know grandpa was actually a prison guard was actually a very cool connection for us as well. Wow. And what type of um, evidence did you capture there? We were actually getting some very cool evidence. Um, There's a location up on the second floor in one of the cell blocks, which was the infirmary. And um, it's, it's flanked. You can only go up to it by these big steel concrete um, stairwells. And um, so there's one on either side, but that's the only way up into that second floor. And so we sat in the middle of that infirmary and we were saying things like, come on, it's time to take your medicine. It's time to see the doctor. And we had footsteps running at us from 
both directions, up the stairwells. You could hear them. Um, you could hear doors clanking when we know that we're the only people on the property. Um, it was it was so loud and intense that you're expecting something to come at you out of the darkness. That's how loud it was. So we were picking up that. Um, we Again, we we're hearing door slams. Um, my younger sister and our other investigator, Cara, were actually touched that night by something unseen. So again, it was very, it was very compelling. Uh, we didn't have a lot of equipment to capture a lot of the things that we experienced that night. So we actually did a second follow-up investigation the year later and, um, and came up with some more compelling evidence from that location. Wow. Um, that first time that you were there, um, did you find it frightening or did you, were you more exhilarated and curious about it? actually more exhilarated and curious about it. Uh, it really got the adrenaline rushing. Um, but we all come from a very scientific background. All of us have, have spent years in academia. And um, so for us, we really want to research what's behind this or what's causing it. And so when we started hearing these things and seeing these things that were unexplainable to us, it really encouraged us to delve deeper into the paranormal. So we walked away from that experience really exhilarated, as you said, and, and wanting to delve into it more and, and go to more locations and, and really highlight the history as well as the paranormal. Right. You've definitely hit all the major locations. <laughs> We're trying to. I mean, there's so many more locations that we want to hit, obviously. And, you know, it's the, the larger locations such as West Virginia and Trans-Allegheny and, and Brushy Mountain, you know, for us, obviously, those are more commercial locations. And we really use those to build our portfolio and really hone our techniques and our styles and, and use different equipment if we want to test that. Those are the locations that we feel that we'll, we'll do that at. Um, residential locations or business locations that call us in for a private investigation, you know, we, we really want to go in with our A game on those. But the commercial locations, that's where we try new techniques and, and um, new equipment and such. Uh, so we really, we really look forward to those because not only for the paranormal, but the historical perspective as well, to be able to go into these locations, you know, such as the Bliskax Murder House or the Lizzie Borden House or the St. Augustine Lighthouse and really have that tactile experience that you just can't get from books or from Google. Uh, that's really what we're, we're about as well. Um. Do you have any theories on what is uh, causing paranormal activity? Do you think it's ghosts? Do you think it's demons? Do you... for, for me personally, um, the theories that I've come up with is what we're attempting to, to communicate with were humans at some point. Uh, they had a life experience. Uh, demons, I don't think had a human experience. I think they're a product of the good and evil in the world. Um, and, and demons are something that we really don't go in to investigate uh, or we don't go in to find. Um, so if we're in a location uh, such as a commercial location and they say there's a demon here, or we suspect there's a demon here, you know, that's really not um, uh, what we're attempting to do. We're actually attempting to speak to spirits that we consider at one time were human. And so the reasons that I think that we're able to communicate with them is that they're essentially closer to the veil to whatever's next. So whether we call it heaven or the next realm or whatever you want to call this next experience for us, I feel that they're closer to that. And that's the reason that we can communicate with them. I think that there's three reasons why um, a spirit of a person 
would be essentially earthbound. Um, the first one is they do have some unfinished business that they're waiting for something or they're, they're looking for something. And once that has happened or transpired, then they will ascend to whatever's next. And the, the second one is I do believe that they're stuck. Um, some of them may know that they're dead, but for some reason cannot find the way to pass on to the next realm. And then the third one is I believe that they're scared or frightened of the punishment that they could face in the next realm because of their life experience here. So for example, um, I believe that's why a lot of prisoners stay in the prisons um, as spirits because they're afraid to take that next step to cross into the, into the light essentially to that next realm. Tragic in a way. It really is. And, you know, we've, we've came, we've come away with examples of all of those. Um, for example, the, the ones that are stuck, we were at uh, Hales Bar Dam in Tennessee and we're asking questions to try to communicate with the spirits of children because there was reports of two children that were killed in the tunnels that ran underneath the dam. And so we were asking questions and one of my investigators said, why are you still here? Why haven't you gone on? And we captured a child's voice that says, I can't, I'm stuck. And to me, that's heartbreaking because he, he knows he's in this experience, this, this spiritual experience, if you will, but he can't move on to the next level. And to me, it was, it was actually a heartbreaking EVP to hear. So that's why I do believe that there are some that are, that are stuck. I mean, we've heard it on an EVP. Um, for those that are, like I said, more afraid to ascend to the next level, I, I'll go back to the example of, of a prisoner. Um, we're at West Virginia State Penitentiary the second time, and we're attempting to communicate with an individual known as Red Snyder. And uh, he was a very bad guy, a leader of the Aryan Brotherhood, a murderer. Um, but basically he ruled uh, the prisoners at West Virginia State Penitentiary. Anybody he wanted killed was killed. And so very bad guy. But I think that he's remaining there because of a, a product of fear because he doesn't want to ascend to what's next. So we were able to validate a little bit of that through a K2 session and an EVP session that we had in red cell. Um, so that's why, like I said, we, we've come away with several different theories um, about the entities that we're communicating with. And those are the three that, that we've really come up with. Have you ever tried to help an entity go to the other side? On a commercial location, no, because for me, I don't think that's my place. I don't own the property. And if, if the owner of the property or the proprietor of the property wants that to happen, then they need to take steps to do that themselves. I feel that when we go into a place like Hales Bar Dam or Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, it's not our place to move those, those entities over. Um, if, a, if we're in a private or a business sense, um, we will actually find out the answers for them and then leave it up to the homeowner to decide what they want to do. And if at some point they want that entity to cross over, then we will call a priest or somebody that we, we know and have association with that will help us in that endeavor. Um, so you investigated the Lizzie Borden house. What was yes. that like? That was a fantastic investigation. Um, you know, as I said before, you read about the Lizzie Borden case and you, you read about the history of the house and Fall River and all of that. Um, but until you actually step into it and you have that, again, that tactile experience where you're walking on the hardwood floors that Lizzie walked on and you're touching the doorknobs that she touched, it really, it really comes to life when you're able to do that. And so for us, it was, it was, it was something that was definitely on our bucket list. So we had the opportunity to do that. And we asked Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorer 
corporations to uh, collaborate with us on that one. So there were four Soul Sisters paranormal investigators and then Miranda. So there's five of us total. And um, it was a fascinating night. Like I said, it was one of those where we suspected that we would probably get some paranormal activity, but what we captured absolutely exceeded our expectations. Um, we went into that investigation. We got there probably around, I want to say about five o'clock in the afternoon. And we went about setting up all of our equipment. And when we do that, I mean, it's, it, we have a focus, but we're also kind of more laid back, like kind of when we're setting up, up setting up our equipment. And um, so Jenny and Michelle were just kind of sitting there in the parlor, just kind of shooting the breeze while we were walking around setting up cameras. And the voice recorder that we had already set up in the parlor captured a male's voice saying, standing right here next to you. And that really kind of blew our minds because we hadn't really officially started the investigation yet, but yet we're getting this interaction with a male and we absolutely know that there are no males in the house or anywhere on the property. And so just to start off the investigation like that was, was really um, exciting for us. And so after that EVP, we were catching um, children's laughter. We were catching um, footsteps uh, up and down the, the stairs that went from the second floor to the third floor. And, um, you know, we captured numerous, numerous EVPs during that night. And uh, so, yeah, it was just a great experience. And like I said, to, to be in that historical location and just to kind of put yourself in that day, you know, and in, in, in kind of going back into 1892 to think what happened and how it happened. Um, it, it really is a cool experience to be able to do that. Um, were you able to do any research to find out who that male voice was? Well, we assume it was uh, Andrew Borden because it was in the room that he was killed and so the, the only ones that we could think of um, would be either Andrew Borden or, uh, or his cousin John, because he was also germane to that situation, that, that murder investigation. Um, he was a suspect for a while. Um, but we firmly feel, after talking between ourselves, we, we firmly feel that it was uh, Andrew Borden, because um, one of the other EVPs that we got that night, um, Jenny and Cara, two of the investigators, were again sitting in the parlor there in, this, in the room where Andrew Borden was killed. And they were just talking between each other and they were comparing the differences between the Velisca X murder house and the Lizzie Borden house. So they were just going back and forth on a couple of things. And, and near the end of the conversation, Cara said that would just be a horrible way to go. And we captured an EVP saying it was. So again, wow. to me, that was Andrew Borden because I mean, Cara is sitting on the couch in, in the location that he was killed. And uh, it, it, I, I really do believe that we were making contact with him. What's that like, making contact with a, a spirit like that? For us, it's, it's, it's validation um, of, of our research. It's validation of our uh, paranormal investigation techniques. And so we really do come away with an adrenaline rush and a high, if you will. Um, and then to be able to really tie that paranormal activity to the historical aspect of the location, um, because that's really what we're attempting to do. So for us, it, it really is all about the history, because we feel without the history, we wouldn't have the paranormal. So to be able to preserve these places, to go into the Lizzie Borden house or the Fort Mifflin or Brushing Mountain State Penitentiary, and to be able to give historical facts about that location that some people might not know, and then to go in and investigate and couple our paranormal evidence with that historical background, 
to us is really our main focus and our job, for lack of a better term. So to be able to put those two EVPs together from the Lizzie Borden house with the fact that Andrew was killed in that room, um, to us, it's just, it really is a validation. Hmm. Um, what is your, like, when you pick up evidence, is, like, what is the piece of equipment that you find to be most useful in communication? Is it K2? Is it AV, uh, EVP? Um, night vision? Thermal? For, for me personally, it's the voice recorders. I do feel that EVPs um, are the purest, if I could say that word, purest form of paranormal activity because they're very hard, at least for Soul Sisters Paranormal, to debunk. And I say that because when we're in a location and we capture a male voice and I know that there's no males on the team and there's no males on the property or I capture a child's voice and there's no child on the property or anywhere around our investigation, that is extremely compelling and it's very hard to debunk. To debunk. Um, so I feel that if, if you go with the fact that humans are made up of energy and when we die, energy has to go somewhere and then these, pe the, these people, former people become spirits, then I think that at that point, the, the least amount of energy is speaking. It takes a lot of energy to move something. It takes a lot of energy to appear as an apparition. So for me, EVPs, I think, are the truest form of paranormal activity. Um, after that, I would say um, the night vision video cameras coupled with our laser grids has been very successful in capturing shadow figures. We captured a very interesting shadow figure at Fort Mifflin, and then also we captured two shadow figures at Gilcrest County Jail in Trenton, Florida. So I, I would say that after, um, after our, our voice recorders, I would go with our night vision video cameras and then our handheld equipment. And, and that's obviously the REM pods, the K2 meters. Um, we have use of an ovilus, um, and then our trigger items that we put out as well, um, I think are very um, interesting for our team because we try to take trigger items and invent trigger items really that are germane to the situation or to the location. So I think we got, we get a lot of responses off of our trigger items. Um, the spirit box, we use that with, with great frequency and great success. And what we also try to do is we don't really rely on one piece of equipment. Um, if I capture an EVP, obviously that's amazing. And, 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 you know, we'll say that's very compelling, but if I have an EVP and I have some phrases off the spirit box and I have my K2 going off and my REM pod going off and I'm capturing, capturing something on the SLS, that is just building my case. And it's, it's putting forth that evidence, that stronger evidence um, for the case of the paranormal. So we really, we really use all of our equipment in conjunction with each other. Do you ever just go old school and ask them to knock on a wall or oh, yeah. throw some flour down on the floor <laughs> to find footsteps and stuff like that? Yes, we have done that. Um, obviously, you know, the, the knocking absolutely, you know, finish this, the, 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 the cadence and stuff like that. So yes, we absolutely do that. Um, and then we also, like I said, we, because we do um, a very extensive uh, research before we go to the locations, a historical research, we try to ask questions that would be um, answered by specific individuals if we can find them, such as Andrew Borden and Lizzie Borden or um, uh, Abby Borden. Um, you know, when we went to Fort Mifflin, we really researched the case of William Howe, who was uh, in the Revolutionary War. He was tried for treason and found guilty, and he was held in a solitary confinement case, uh, cell 
in uh, in Fort Mifflin. And this this subterranean, it was a subterranean cell. So it's called it was casemate. It's called Casemate Eleven. So it's probably about six feet underground. There there is no light to it at all. Um, it's very small, very narrow. And and we knew that he he was held in this cell. So we were asking questions specifically to him to try to get responses from him and we also took in like i said trigger items to get responses from him specifically so we took in water we took in cigarettes right. and and so when we were talking to him it was actually like we were talking to william how directly so i asked him i said did you you know did you see what we left you and we got all of our equipment in that room caught and the answer yes and there was only two two investigators myself and cara and we were in there and and we caught that we all we, we heard both of us heard that yes in the moment um, so to be able to be able to, to, to communicate specifically with an individual like that is very compelling for us as well. Now, my memory is not that good, but I think I remember an episode of Ghost Hunters where Jay was in there mm -hmm. and they got an EVP of somebody asking for cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, you're absolutely right. They were actually the first team to go in there. Um, it, they were allowed to go in there right after the casemate was open. I don't even think it was open to the public yet. So they were allowed to go in there and do that investigation. And, you know, one of their investigators, the, the female actually ended up running out. She couldn't stay in there um, just because she felt claustrophobic. Um, and you're right. And, and for us, trigger um, cigarettes are a very big trigger item. Uh, cigarettes and, uh, and cigars. We have a pipe as well and, and some tobacco that we take in. Um, anything that we think that would be, again, germane to the location or to the time period, uh, we try to, to fashion those as well. Um, so yeah, I think leaving the cigarettes really got us the response from William leaving him water. And you know, for us, we speak to these individual or we speak to these entities like they were individuals because you know, the human existence is to be noticed. It is to be recognized. Nobody wants to go through the world alone and not be seen. And I think the same thing is true with spirits. You know, they want to be acknowledged. They want to be um, appreciated for who they were. And that's really the attitude that we take when we go into these locations. We speak to them on essentially a human level. Uh, and, and I think that's the reason, one of the reasons why we've been very successful in getting EVP responses and getting paranormal activity when we go to these locations. What do you think about paranormal investigators who go in and are aggressive and try to provoke responses? Well, I'm not going to disparage another team, but for us personally, we don't do that. We, because we just don't feel it's necessary. You know, we don't go in with bravado. We don't go in with chest thumping uh, because it, again, going back to that human existence, we feel that if you just speak to them on an individual level, you're going to get a response. So I personally don't like it. I personally don't condone it. And because again, I just don't feel it's necessary. And I think it invites more negative than it does positive. So for me, investigators that do that, I just, I, I honestly just turn them off because it's not really worth my time to watch them because I really don't condone what they're doing. Uh, one of the places that you've been to is the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I remember also an episode on Ghost Hunters with that one where a shadow finger looks down from mm -hmm. up above on them. And it's like, and it was like one of the most clearest 
um, uh-huh. shadow figures I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the St. Augustine Lighthouse is just fascinating and just the history behind it. I mean, you're going into to St. Augustine and the history behind the city alone is fascinating. But, you know, the first lighthouse was built in 1565 and it's that the lighthouse that's currently there um, is on that same foot on that same footprint. So just knowing that 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 history, all of that history is behind that and is really permeated into the ground there, into that footprint, um, there's a lot of things to uncover, both historically and in the paranormal world. So for us, we've been there twice, and um, it's just a joy to investigate. The only problem with the lighthouse is it's the only place where we investigate where you have to investigate up. Obviously, you've got to go up the light tower rather than out. So you don't, you know, at Brushy Mountain or West Virginia State Penitentiary or Tala, you're spreading yourself out. And and that's just so different than trying to figure out how you're going to investigate this long cylindrical tube. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we put uh, night vision video cameras on every landing. We had um, voice recorders on every other landing. You know, you really have to account for environmental pollution, um, such as noise and light and, you know, just, just uh, people uh, walking, on the, walking by on the sidewalk at night. So you really have to account for that and you really have to be attuned to what's going on during the night while you're doing the investigation. Um, but we were able to actually walk away with, from both of those investigations with a lot of evidence. Um, in the light tower itself, we captured the EVPs of, uh, a, of a couple of children and then a woman saying, they'll find you which was kind of interesting. And at one point during our first investigation, we were walking up into the lighthouse. So we were on probably like the fourth or fifth landing and we heard a whistle from underneath. And again, there's nobody else on the property. So we heard a whistle from down underneath. So we all stopped. And so just as a, you know, because I went, mm-hmm, and right after that, a male's voice yelled up, I saw you which was extremely interesting because we all heard it. As soon as he said it, we all heard it. And so that was kind of compelling. Um, from, from there, we went over into the keeper's cottage, which has four rooms in it. It's, it's two stories and then it has a small basement. And um, so we were capturing a couple of EV, EVPs down there. We had some interesting flashlight sessions down there. And then one of the reports is that you smell cigar smoke. And we absolutely smelled it the, the first night we were there. So I, I absolutely love St. Augustine. I think it's just an amazing place to investigate. You know, it's funny because like even like in ancient traditions, like one of the most common offerings to the dead is tobacco. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think it it is one of those things that, you know, for the longest time, only, you know, rich people could have or those in a higher status would have. Um, And then, you know, obviously, as it became more prevalent, um, people were able to get it more and more. But I think it's always been a vice for people throughout history. It's just one of those things. So. Yeah, tobacco, cigarettes, cigars, pipes, um, they've, they've been very successful for us in terms of trigger items. What do you think, at the St. Augustine Lighthouse, um, who do you think those children were? Did, um, did any children actually die there? Yes, yeah, there was actually the reports of two children that were, two, two girls. Um, they were, I think the ages were seven and nine, I believe. And uh, so what happened there is during the construction uh, phase of one of the lighthouses in the early, uh, late 1800s, um, they were playing in what was essentially a, 
um, like if you look at, look at a, a mine car, a little car that takes a coal from one side of the tunnel to the other, it looked like that, but it was made to take, um, to pull up uh, supplies from ships in the water. So they would put it on this little car and they would pull it up to the lighthouse. And so they were playing in one of those little cars, a cable car essentially, and the cable broke and it ran down into the water. It turned over and it drowned them. And, um, so I do believe that we captured those children um, on the playground on, on our second investigation, but we had a, a voice recorder on that playground and we also cop, uh, captured a male's voice that night too. So um, I just think that there are spirits from not just the lighthouse, but you know, from other areas in St. Augustine, like I said, it has just an amazing history of, of war between the, the, the British and the Spanish um, since the, the 1500s. So there's no telling who actually died on that property before it was even the lighthouse. And uh, so I think we're picking up a lot of that as well, whether it be residual or intelligent, I think we're able to pick up that as well. But to your question, um, I do believe that that second investigation, we captured the children's voices. What is the difference between a residual and intelligent haunting? Well, for me personally, I would describe a residual haunting as essentially a blip on a record. Um, so it's something that's going to continue to happen in time and it's going to continue to happen the exact same way. So if you think of a record player and you put the record on and there's a scratch on the record, every time it gets to that scratch, it, it, it revolves to that scratch, you're going to get the, the blip on the song. And I think that's the same thing as residual hauntings. I think it's just something that's playing throughout time and it's kind of like embedded in time, if you will. So once it circles back to that blip, you're going to hear that EVP or you're going to see that apparition. Um, intelligent are those hauntings that actually respond to us in some way. So back to your knocking example, if we ask it to continue a cadence and it continues the cadence, or we ask for a name and we get a direct response of a name or a child saying something, um, that to me is intelligent. So, for example, when we were at the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia, um, we had put a voice recorder on one of the beds that was in one of the rooms. And we had a couple of investigators across the hall, but everybody else was outside. And um, so during the night, we captured a child's voice saying, hi, this is my bed. And to me, that's intelligent because it's, it, I, I believe it's standing by the voice recorder. It sees that it's on the bed and he's saying, hi, this is my bed. Um, so to me, that was extremely intelligent. And, um, you know, we, we've captured evidence of residuals as well. So um, I think it, for us, it's probably 80% intelligent, 20% uh, uh, residual when we do our investigations. Do you think there are any spirits that, um, mean harm or or are able to harm the living i think so and i think this goes back to your provoking question um i think if you for lack of a better term rile something up and get it so agitated that it can put forth a burst of energy i do think that you can put yourself in the position to be harmed um, whether it be pushed um, whether it be scratched or you know something thrown at you um, I, I do think it's all about the approach and for us personally we've never had that experience we've never had um, any any type of physical harm come to us. Now we've been touched, but that's only because we've asked to be touched. So we'll, when we go into a location, we'll say, 
you know, you're not allowed to touch us, you're not allowed to harm us, you're not allowed to come home with us, but we will go into a room and say, if you're here, you can pull my pant leg. I give you permission to pull my pant leg or touch my hair. And in those instances, we've have, we've, we've felt something, you know, I've, I've had my pant leg pulled numerous times. Um, we've all had our hair tugged numerous times or poked on the shoulder. So we've had those experiences, but nothing in a, that I would consider a negative towards us. Um, there have been some instances, and, and actually both of them have been in Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, where we've had to get forceful and say, you're not allowed to touch us. You're not allowed to harm us. And then the, that type of activity really does kind of uh, calm down. But I feel if you go in with a provoking attitude or an attitude of, you know, uh, stirring up the dead or however you want to call it or make shit happen, I, I think you're going to get that you're going to get the response that you're looking for. How do you feel about like haunted objects? Have you ever experienced a haunted object? We have, uh, it, actually, we actually, I think we have one in our house, which was um, uh, my mom bought a cabinet from uh, a location where somebody was, was uh, killed during a robbery. And uh, so, you know, I think that, that kind of stirs up a little, a little something. But um, I, I do believe that there's ability to haunt an object or not so much haunt an object. I think it's the energy from the person who had the object. I don't, I don't think it's the person themselves. So for example, if, if you've got a ring from a grandmother and you know, that ring is, is very special to them and it's something that she wore throughout her entire life and she told stories about it and you know, she never left the house without it and stuff like that. I think the energy that surrounds the ring can cause it to be haunted, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's necessarily grandma herself that would be associated with that haunting. Um, so I, I, I do think that there are instances of, of objects for sure. Um, do you use any psychics or mediums or seances? No, not in our team. Um, for us, it, it really goes back to a scientific research uh, type of situation for us. Now, I will say that my sister and I are twins, so we do have that connection, but we don't profess to be mediums. We don't profess to be psychics. And for us, seances and Ouija boards and such is just something that we don't do, uh, especially Ouija boards, because they just have that negative connotation in society. So we don't use those. Um, and, but as, as far as a psychic or a medium, no, we, we don't profess to be that or have that on the team. Um, you know, we really go in with what I would consider a scientific, maybe going back to an old school type of an, of an investigation where we, we put out scientific equipment and try to capture evidence of the paranormal. Um, electricity. Do you find that if you put something in a room where a spirit can pull electricity or energy from, you get a better manifestation? We've, we've never really tried for that purpose specifically. We will go into a location and have immediate battery drains. So we, we, we do, get, do get that on occasion. Um, but to actually put something electronic in a room for a spirit to draw down from, it's not really something that we've, we've done specifically for that purpose. Um, you know, like I said, we'll go in with, with various pieces of equipment and try to get responses on each of those. 
and and there have been times where like for example we'll take in the REM pod in the spirit box and the REM pod the battery will drain on it and then we'll get hits on the on the the spirit box we'll get a phrase or something on the spirit box so I do think it's possible I do think that that they have to have or that they can draw from the energy um, of batteries or electronic equipment um, cell phones you know going dead quickly that that is an issue sometimes but um, yeah, I, I do believe that that is possible. Hmm. Like I've always wanted to try, like maybe like putting like a Tesla coil in a room. Oh, there you go. In a place that you know is haunted, and then they can draw the energy from them, like that mm-hmm. type of the Tesla coil, in order to help them uh, communicate better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that would be an absolutely cool experiment. We do take um, a plasma ball, one of those little plasma balls, in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have had success with that in, in some locations where we do feel it enhances the energy of the room. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that would be similar to something like a Tesla coil for sure. Interesting. Um, what is the best evidence that you've captured? In terms of EVPs, I would say the best EVPs that we've captured were at uh, the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia. Um, we captured two extremely good EVPs. On, it was actually on the same voice recorder. It was in the same room. So what we do is we go in and we leave stationary equipment in various rooms or cells or wherever on the location. So if we have you know 10 night vision cameras they're all deployed in 10 different locations and they'll run throughout the night same with our voice recorders they'll run throughout the night so in this instance we had left the voice recorder again laying on the bed in this this room that's set up to look like an old-fashioned hotel room and we captured the child's voice that said hi this is my bed and then we captured what what sounds like to us an elderly man saying i don't know i'll be back at 4 30 which again is very compelling to us because it it this this place used to be a, a hotel then it was a civil war hospital and then it came back and it became a hotel again so coming back at 4 30 could mean that he's a surgeon coming back to operate on a civil war soldier or it could be that the train is coming back at 4 30 and when it pulls into the station so that was a very cool evp for us so those are the two best evps um, in terms of shadow figures, we captured a shadow figure at Fort Mifflin. Um, we had back to that solitary confinement cell. We had a night vision video camera set up in the door of the solitary confinement cell pointing into the cell. And that's the only way into the room. And right beside it, sitting a little bit in front of it, we had a laser grid. And during the night when we are all on the other side of the fort, a large shadow figure crosses in front and, and cuts off the laser beams. So that was extremely interesting to us. And It's pretty solid to cut off the laser beams. It, it really was. Um, it, it moves from the right to the left. And I'd say, because it takes up pretty much the bulk of the interior doorway. So I would say it'd have to be about five or six, probably about five and a half feet tall. Um, I believe the dose in there at Fort Mifflin actually showed it to the team from TAPS and they said it was very compelling. That was, I mean, that's the story that I've heard. Um, so they said it was very compelling evidence from the casemate. Um, so that was our first shadow figure. And then the second, we actually caught two shadow figures at the old Gilcrest County Jail in Trenton, Florida which is about an hour west of Gainesville. And this is a very small jail. It was built in 1928. It's, it's two stories, but it only has eight cells. And uh, so myself and uh, Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations, we were the only two people on the property that night. And uh, we had set up, again, those laser grids with our night vision video camera. 
And it was this was on the downstairs hallway coming off of the front door. So this was in July and it was so hot. So we had stepped out of the front door and just trying to get some breeze and just kind of cool down a little bit. And so we're looking back into the jail and I saw a shadow figure go from right to left and it cuts off the laser beams. And I said, you know, holy crap, did you see that? And she's like, no. And I said, well, you know, if you're in there, can you walk back across the laser beams? And it did on command. And so we actually caught that on the, the stationary camera that was in that hallway. You see it walk to the right and then you see it walk back to the left. So that was extremely compelling in terms of shadow figures. So that's definitely an intelligent Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I would actually say that the old Gilchrist County Jail is probably the most active location that we've investigated. We've investigated there twice. Like I said, the first one was with Miranda and she and I were just capturing everything. Every piece of equipment we had that night was validating every other piece of equipment. And by that, I mean, we were um, t- for the so for the first example, we were talking in, with an ovalist and we said, you know, if there's anybody here, can you tell us? a name we got the name immediately we got the name Robert in one of these cells and we were never given the name Robert by the by the property manager or anything like that so Robert was new to us so then we went into another cell and we were using the REM pod and we said uh, did you know Robert and the REM part REM pod just starts going off and we we're asking various questions just going off so that was validating the Robert name and then you know we were told by the the property manager that one of the prisoners was killed by a hammer so when we were in this REM pod session um, I mean be, he was strangled my bad he was strangled so when we were doing the REM pod session we said things like were you killed by being hit by a hammer there was nothing were you killed by being shot there was nothing were you killed by being stabbed were you killed by being strangled and the REM pod lights up so we got that validation Um, we were capturing things on our SLS camera Uh, we were seeing shadow figures in the moment we were capturing EVPs all through the night so that to me is probably the best purest investigation that we've been on so far Have you ever had an investigation that was disappointing where you went to a place that you heard was a really good hot spot and you go there and nothing happens? Uh, Actually, we've actually been extremely fortunate to catch something, Um, probably not the amount that we were expecting. I'd say probably the Velisca Axe Murder House. Now, we did catch some very compelling EVPs that night, don't get me wrong, Um, but for as active as as it's claimed to be, um, it was... I don't want to say it was disappointing, but it, it wasn't really the uh, the amount that we were expecting. However, that being said, the EVPs that we did capture were phenomenal to us. Um, you know, it's just, it really is interesting that we, we have been very fortunate, like I said, in, in, in capturing um, paranormal activity, whether it be EVPs or shadow figures or whatnot. Um, and I think the reason is, I'll actually give it two reasons. I think the first one is we are a group of all females. I think that lends to a little bit more empathy. I think that lends to a little bit more intrigue by the entities because we don't have a male figure on the team. Um, and I think it maybe leads to a little bit more curiosity um, and maybe feeling a little bit safer to quote unquote speak with us or acknowledge us, if you will. And um, and then, you know, this, the second one, I think, is because we actually watch and listen to every piece of footage that we capture during the night. Um, you know, if we've got 10 voice recorders running for 10 hours at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, 
I'm listening to all that audio. If we've got 10 um, night vision video cameras running for 10 hours, I'm watching all of that video footage. So I, I think, you know, I'm not saying that other teams skip corners by any means, but I'm saying for us, it's just part of our analysis. And I think because of that, we've been very fortunate to capture the things that we've captured. Do you ever find um, when you have to go back and, and review all the footage to be kind of tedious? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the hardest part of all of this. But, you know, for me, while you're listening to absolute silence for hours and hours and hours, when you hear that one whisper or you hear that, that footstep or you hear a door slam, um, that just gets the adrenaline pumping and you're like, all right, let's buckle down and get to the next one. You know, I associate it with fishing. It, you're not going to catch a fish every time you throw the line in the water. So it's the same thing here. I'm not going to capture an EVP every time I put my headphones on, but if I listen long enough and I listen hard enough, eventually I think I'm going to get something. So that, that, that want to catch something, I guess, is what really keeps me going with it. Do you think orbs are um, um, a paranormal phenomenon or do you think like when people catch orbs a lot, it's just dust particles or insects? I think that orbs have the potential to be paranormal activity. I, I, there's been several instances where we've caught orbs that I just can't explain because of their size and their coloration and the location that they're in. However, that being said, I think a majority of what's put out there as paranormal in the case of orbs is dust and it's insects. And I, I, I can say that because I've watched so many hours of night vision video footage and I, I've learned to tell the difference between, you know, a little ant walking across the floor and a little, you know, lightning bug coming across the screen to something paranormal. So it, it is extremely rare for us to um, tell uh, to say that an orb is paranormal on any of our videos because I would just I would rather err on the side of caution and say it's a bug or dust and not not release that as evidence. Um, than, than not. So uh, for us, it, I, I think there's been one, one video where we'll put something, where we put a light anomaly in there that I couldn't explain. And, and um, so, yeah, for me, like I said, for me personally, I, I think 99% of, of what people put out there is as paranormal or dust is dust. Mm. Um, do you do a lot of debunking on mm -hmm. your investigations? We do. Um, I, I think a lot of our debunking actually comes from the beginning of our investigations at the start. So what we do is we take a day tour of each of the locations that we go to. Um, we, we go in there for several hours before our investigation, <clears throat> excuse me, and we take copious notes on things as like, like street lights, noise pollution. Um, you know, are, are there airplanes flying overhead? Is there a train track nearby? Is there um, a dog in the neighborhood? kids in the neighborhood, anything that once we get into the investigation, if we hear or see or, or any of that on our, our cameras or catch them on our audio, we can say we're certain that that's what this is. You know, that's a train, that's an airplane, that's, you know, something, that's a car going by. So we actually try to debunk a lot of stuff before we go in. And then <clears throat> after the investigation, once we're analyzing our evidence, we'll go through, like I said, the audio and video and what we do is say I capture something on my audio, I'll clip it and I'll label it like bedroom one EVP. And so I'll send it to the team and I'll say, okay, do you hear anything? 
and I'll have everybody listen to it and they message me back directly and tell me what they think they hear if they hear anything. And then we discuss. And if we can't come up with a consensus, because I feel like we're a microcosm of our audience, if we can't come up with a consensus, then I'm not going to put that out as audio or as, as evidence. Um, because it, it just, to me, we want to be as upfront and transparent as we can with what we put out there as unexplained. Where do you put out your evidence? Is it on your website or YouTube? Yes, yes. We have a website, www.soulsistersparanormal.com. And everything about us is on that website. So, um, you know, podcasts we've been on, our background, um, information about where we're going next, as well as all of our evidence, and then our full-length um, investigation videos. And so then we also have a YouTube channel, which is under Soul Sisters Paranormal, and all of our videos are on there. And then uh, we're very active on Facebook as well, under Soul Sisters Paranormal. And um, there's a rumor out there that you have a book coming out. <laughs> well, we, we do want to have, we do want to, to write a book eventually. Um, I've got pieces in, in, in different notepads and different notebooks around. Um, but every, it just kind of, it's one of those things that you really want to do it. And then you wake up and it's four months later and you're, you're doing other things. Um, so, uh, yes, it, it is something that we will put out eventually. It's just, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't come as quickly as I had hoped. Hmm. Um, any TV deals in the future? If that comes, then we will welcome that opportunity. It's not first and foremost for us. Um, I will say that we've actually been approached by two different producers. Um, both of them wanted to change our style and take control of our brand. And that's not something that I'm willing to compromise on. So for us, it was one of those things that was very easy to walk away from. Um, if we had a partnership with a production company that would work with us and our style and, and how we do things and let us be true to Soul Sisters Paranormal, then absolutely, we would absolutely welcome that conversation. But uh, for now, we're just really having a great time doing what we're doing by going and visiting these historic locations and putting out some what we feel is some very compelling paranormal evidence. Interesting. Um, well, I know, I know that the, the book writing process can be <laughs> it's exhausting. It, it is. It really is. <laughs> so, I mean, I've, I've written several articles and, you know, I obviously had to do a, a dissertation for my, uh, my doctoral dissertation, but um, so I know the book writing process. It's just, like I said, it's, because this isn't our full-time job. You know, we all have full-time jobs in, in other realms of our lives um, and other things that are going on. So um, Soul Sisters Paranormal is, it's, it's not a hobby. It's definitely more than that. Um, but it's not something um, that is our revenue generator, if, that, if, if I can say that. It's, it's definitely something that is a labor of love because this is self-funded. Um, everything mm -hmm. that we do is self-funded. It's all self-produced as well. Um, so on that aspect, you know, getting these, these extracurricular things such as a book and the videos and, and some other things that we're trying to do with it, it does take time. Do you have any place for people, you know, to donate for funding or like a Patreon page or anything? We, we don't. Um, I've been asked that on several occasions. Um, and, and right now we don't. Um, and the, the reason I do that is because I, and the reason I don't monetize um, on YouTube right now is because I think if I don't do that, it keeps 
our investigation, for lack of a better term again, pure. Because I feel that if you've got a video that you're asking somebody to essentially believe in your paranormal evidence, and then you're asking them for money, or you're putting in commercials where you're getting money, I feel like that could essentially give a sense of being tainted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why right now we have not done that. Um, it may come in the future, um, but you know, right now we haven't done that. We will be probably in, in the very near future, we will be putting out merchandise because I, I have people asking for t-shirts and that's fine. That's a little bit different. So uh, t-shirts and such will be coming in the future um, because I just feel that that's somebody wanting to support us by showcasing our logo and that will go absolutely back toward um, our, our travel expenses. Um, but as far as monetizing our videos and, and, and creating a Patreon, I still, I'm, I'm wrestling with that a lot actually because yeah, i see like i mean it must be expensive all the equipment and all the travel mm-hmm. like i, I, I know and time basically because mm-hmm. you're you're using time like you, you know like you said you have a day job so mm-hmm. every time yeah. like you go off on an investigation on the other side of the country mm-hmm. you know oh, it is and and you know that's why it, it really getting a large, what I would call a large scale investigation where all five investigators um, can go to Iowa or, you know, go to um, Massachusetts. It, it does. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of time. And so um, when, when people say, oh, you're, you went to Lizzie Borden last week, why don't we have a video yet? It, it's hard for me to explain. You know, it, it takes a lot of time. It, it takes time to go through the evidence. It takes time to edit the video and put it all together and produce that video. Um, so I think that's, really where um, popular TV shows have done a disservice to paranormal investigators because popular TV shows give you an instant gratification from, you know, the first minute to the 59th minute, you see an entire investigation wrapped up, started wrapped up in that 60 minute time frame, And that is absolutely not how it is. So when somebody says, why is it taking you so long? You did that investigation two months ago. Well, yeah, we're, we're still working on getting all of that evidence reviewed. Um, so it, it, it does take a lot of time in some instances. So you're right. Time is a very valuable asset to us. Yeah. I, and you're, and you're right. Like people watch one hour TV show, but they don't realize there's two weeks of work behind that 60 minutes that they're watching. Well, and, and absolutely you, you, and, and you know, something like taps or ghost adventurers, they roll in with a full production team. They're not, uh, you know, the, the taps team was at Fort Mifflin for three days filming. They weren't there for just a night. So they're there for three days and they're there with an entire production team. And they're, you know, they've got, uh, they've got other people, People that help with, you know, schlepping the equipment and setting it up and taking it down and all of that. So, you know, we're just a team of five that are they're trying to put something out as professionally as we can. So it, it does, like I said, it does do a disservice to us. Now, it, it, it does a service in the fact that it, it highlights to essentially mainstream uh, individuals that paranormal investigators are out there. But then again, it goes, it does that disservice where, it, there is no instant gratification where our investigations are concerned, not the way we do it. Um, so getting ready to wrap this up, but I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. my, uh, my biggest question. Okay. What do you think happens to us after we die? 
Okay, so I believe that uh, we go somewhere. Um, for me, in my Christian belief, I think it's it's heaven. I'm going to call it heaven. I think there is another realm. Um, I think, like I said, we're made up of energy. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. We have to go somewhere. Uh, and for me, I like to believe in a heaven. I like to believe that there's there's something better and greater after this. So that's that's my very short answer on that. Hmm. Yeah, I tend to think like, um, that there might be one more than one possibility mm-hmm. of what happens, you know, like, almost mm-hmm. like we get to choose, you know, like some people can choose to be reincarnated. Some can choose to kind of exist somewhere else, or mm-hmm. they could choose both, you know, maybe mm-hmm. go away, be in heaven for a little while and then become mm-hmm. reincarnated. Um, but I, I think like all possibilities are probably what's happening. Well, absolutely. And that, that is, a, is an amazing theory. You're absolutely right. And that's why, you know, because there are so many different possibilities that are out there and we're never going to know until we die. Um, you know, that's another reason why I will never call myself a paranormal expert because I don't think experts in this exist. I think that I can say that I have more experience. I've had different situations than somebody who started last week, but I'll never call myself an expert in this. And because for that very reason, because we don't have concrete answers, we all have theories, but we don't have concrete answers. And so, yes, the theory that you put forward is absolutely a possibility and, and one that, you know, would be amazing if that's the case, because it would give us the ability to choose what our next direction would be. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, well, thank you for be- taking the time to be on my show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, what was the website again? The website is www.soulsistersparanormal.com. And then we're on YouTube under Soul Sisters Paranormal. And then on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal. Okay. And um, I'll put all that stuff too in the notes of the podcast. Perfect. Thank you, Gary. And, um, and thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. I'm telling you that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. On Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. You know, yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.